0: Well, Amen. It's good to be back with you uh, this uh, this morning. Uh, the Lord has given me a good week. I hope he's given you one as well. Uh, I'm so grateful for all of his blessings, and uh, one of the blessings I get each week is to come and to uh, share with you uh, for a while. And so uh, if you have your Bibles today, we're going to look at Luke 18. It's going to be our primary passage today, and you can follow along there. But before we get to that, I want to do just a little experiment with you. I'm a, I'm a history buff, and uh and so late at night, I, I love watching sports. But when the sports are over and late at night, if I can't sleep, a lot of times I'll turn on like the History Channel and watch a documentary. And I'm particularly interested in like Civil War, Revolutionary War stuff. And I've seen almost every documentary that's you can YouTube out there on those things. I just enjoy that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, I'm going to let y'all help me with a little bit of a history stuff today. So, uh, who's this guy? Napoleon. Okay. Tell me what you know. He was short. short. What else do you know? Had his hand in his shirt a lot. lot. Okay. Where was he from? France. France. What was his goal? World domination. domination, Conquer the world. Okay. So y'all kind of got this guy figured out. I put his picture up there because y'all all said something that we have heard ever since we were little as fact, but yet it's not true almost every one of you said it uh, Napoleon was 5 foot 2 in French measurements but English imperialistic measurements are what we use and so Napoleon was actually between 5 7 and 5 8 which we all know is plenty tall right <laughs> <laughs> right so I point that out though, but actually, the average man in France in that day was about five foot seven. So that he was very normal height. But we've heard that so much that we just believe it. Now, that happens in a lot of areas of life. Uh, How many of you have ever heard don't give your kids sugar at night? Unless you're a grandparent who is going to send the kids home, and then you load them up and get even with your kids, you know I know how that goes. But anyhow, you know we've heard that all our life. Studies have shown that that sugar does not make a kid go bonkers. In fact, the Journal of American Medical Association published a review of 23 studies of the subject of kids and sugar, and the conclusion: sugar doesn't affect your kid's behavior one iota. However, but the idea is so self-ingrained as as fact that it affects our perception. Case in point, one study told the mothers that they were giving their boys sugar. And then all of the mothers, 100% of them, said that their kids had this crazy reaction to sugar, even though all of them were given non sugared drinks. It affects our perception. Now, the studies do say that sugar will make your kids dumb, uh, but if you want to risk it, bring your kids to Candy on the Corner on Wednesday night <laughs> when we're handing out candy for kids. Uh, but we've all believed that. We've heard that all our life. We believe it. How many of you have heard that if you go outside when your hair is wet and you get chilled, that it will make you sick? Fact! Fact! Doesn't hurt me a bit, but anyhow, I don't know how many of y'all, but we've heard that as fact all of our life. Truth is, they say it really chilled whether you're wet or dry. It really is not that big of a difference in studies, which blew my mind. I saw this, and I thought, that can't be right. And so I searched the Internet, and Wikipedia said it was, so that has to be the way it is, right? No, actually, I I searched several places, and they said, no, this is actually a fact. Uh, Y'all know I love athletics, and this blew my mind. We've always heard all our life, you have to stretch before exercise. We all know that stretching helps performance. Stretching prevents injuries. You have to stretch, Well, researchers have been finding that stretching actually slows you down. Experts reveal that stretching before a run can result in a 5% reduction of efficiency. Meanwhile, Italian researchers have been studying cyclists. They confirmed that stretching is actually counterproductive to the cyclist's performance. Furthermore, uh, there's never been sufficient scientific evidence that pre-exercise stretching reduces injury risk. And that blows my mind, because all of our life, we've all heard all of those things, and we accept them as fact. Now the point is, there's a lot of things in life that we've accepted because we've been told, and a lot of things that everybody believes are true, but might not be, and this is the case spiritually as well. What I want to talk about today is that many people hold this belief that that good people go to heaven, that, that... If you're good, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or not Christian, if you're good, you go to heaven. And this infiltrates people who don't believe thinking. It infiltrates people, some people, who do believe thinking. For instance, even some in here might believe. You know, it's not Baptists that that go to heaven, it's a good Baptist. And you don't go to heaven if you're Catholic, you go to heaven if you're a good Catholic. And you don't go to heaven if you're Buddhist, you go to heaven if you're a good Buddhist. It's not if you're Jewish, it's if you're a good Jew. And this idea has just infiltrated people so much that almost our entire society believes that you go to heaven if you're good. So according to these folks, the common denominator between those going to heaven is not your belief system, it's not who your God is, it's not how you pray, and it's not even how you worship. It is, are you good or not? Now this leads people to say things like this. Well, if anybody's going to go to heaven, she is, or he is, or or... Boy, a good God, they would let that guy in because that guy's a good guy. You see that thinking, how that works? Now, most of us here know that this idea conflicts with our Christian uh, beliefs. Uh, So many would say things like, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but... Now, you, by the way, you don't have to tell me that you're not perfect. I've already got that figured out, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you don't have to tell anybody else because they already know it too. You know, we, we're, but, but that infiltrates our thinking. And deep down inside of some people here, they believe that God's going to let good people go to heaven. At the end of time, he's going to gather all folks up. He's going to say, these are the good ones. These are the bad ones. These are my kind of people. And there's... Again, let me let you in on There's merits to this in our mind Because first of all it seems fair You know doesn't it I mean think about it It's only right to believe that good people are rewarded And bad people are punished It's what we do in our home with our kids You know if you're good I'll give you a sucker If you're bad I'm going to give you a spanking Now I never saw many suckers when I was a kid But I saw the other stuff But uh, it's society we think that Obey the laws things go well, disobey the laws, things go bad. We see it in the Bible. I mean, my goodness, I'm not telling you something in the Old Testament that you don't see. God says, if you're good, I'll reward you. If you're bad, I'll get you. In the Old Testament, that's what we see. Even in the New Testament, we learn this principle of sowing and reaping. You kind of reap what you sow. You know? and so, so we develop this mindset that, well, that just makes sense. That seems fair. A, a second merit to this system is most people believe they're going to be okay. You know, I mean, I mean, truthfully, there are not many people who would stand up and say, I'm one of the worst people in the world. Now, there's a few, but not many. And, and most people who would say, you know, I'm not a good person, most people who say that, they don't really think it in their heart. You know, we, we know people think this way, because how many times have you ever been to a funeral home and, and heard somebody say, you know, I don't know if that guy's in heaven or not. I've been to th- probably a thousand funerals. I've probably preached... I don't know, 200, 300 funerals. So I've probably been at funeral homes close to a 1,000 times. In all of those years, my guess is I've maybe heard this question three times. Hey, preacher, do you think they're in heaven? Probably only two or three times, even though Jesus said broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to life. Nobody ever says that. We don't think that. But I have heard this, boy. I I, I know they're probably up there dancing with mama. You know, they're probably fishing in that little corner of heaven up there. Or, Or they're probably cheering on the cats. You know, I mean, that's kind of how we think about life. If you're a good person, you'll go to heaven, you'll enjoy a good heaven with a good God. Makes sense to us. It also provides motivation for being good. I mean, for centuries, it's been used as motivation for kids to behave. You know, kind of like heaven is a bowl of ice cream. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're good, you'll get a treat. You'll get to go to heaven. Uh, and, you know, senior adults, as they get closer to, to dying, I mean, truthfully, I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of people start going back to church when they get closer to dying. You know, start giving away more stuff and being more generous because, you know, I've got to be good if I'm going to get there, so I better do good things. And, and it is motivation to be good. You know, Man, I want to I want to make it. You know, and it seems consistent with the idea of a good God. You know, it only makes sense that good good people go to a good heaven to be with a good God. And so it's not hard to see why a lot of people in our society believe this. In fact, a majority of the people in our society believe this. It's logical, it's practical, it's easy to buy into. And it makes so much sense that few people have tried to investigate whether or not it's true. I mean, that's a novel idea, isn't it? To try to figure out something that you're banking like your eternity on? Is true or not? What you need to know is Jesus confronted this theory with a hammer. He smashed it. Uh, He tells a parable in Luke 18. And let's look at that if you've got your Bible. In Luke 18, he also told this parable. And why did he tell it? Well, there were some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in their goodness. They trusted in what they could do. They trusted in if they were good enough to get there. There were some people who trusted that they were righteous. Go back just for a second uh, to the last verse. And they treated others with contempt, because this is what this always leads to, isn't it? I think I'm good, and you're not quite ass. And then he tells this parable about two men who go to church. And he says, uh, or two, in their day to the temple, our day to church. Two men went to the temple. One was a Pharisee. This guy had it all together. He kept the rules. He obeyed what was right. He he knew the Old Testament. Good, good guy. Paid his tithe. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector, a scam artist, a traitor, an outcast. These two guys go to church, and the Pharisee, when he gets to church... He goes into the middle of the temple, and he stands smack dab in the middle of the place by himself where everybody can see him. In a day like today, he would be me, standing right up in front of everybody. And he prays with a loud voice, oh God, I thank you that I'm better than them. That's what Jesus is portraying here. This Pharisee stands up and says, Oh God, I so thank you that you made me better than them. I'm not like other men. I'm not extortioners. I don't twist people's arms to pad my pockets. I don't scam the system to take care of myself. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm really glad I'm not like that guy. The tax collector. The scene shifts uh, to, to the tax collector, you know, the religious guy, he's fasting, he gives his tithes. But listen to the tax collector, listen to what he says in the next verse, verse 13. But the tax collector, he's standing far off. He's afraid the roof's going to fall in, even though there's no roof on the temple where they would stand. But you, y'all know the picture. He's the guy that's scared to go into church. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes because he's not worthy to talk to God. <sighs> He beats on his chest and he says, Oh God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? So that's Jesus' story. And the story has a purpose. It's to remind us about what kind of man is good enough to stand before God. Now, today my my point of, of sharing that parable is to help you realize that first guy holds the majority opinion. i got to be good, got to work hard, in his day and in ours, but what Jesus shows us, it's not true. God doesn't accept good people into heaven because there are none. He accepts the humble, the broken, and the desperate. Now today, I'm not trying to convince you that Christianity is right. I'll do that another day. If you're here and you've been coming to church for years and you come maybe because your husband said this is where I grew up and you got to come or your wife twisted your arm or your grandparents begged you to come or you just decided I want to know what those crazy people up there believe. If you came in here today, I'm not trying to convince you that Christianity's right. Here's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to show you that this belief that good people go to heaven is far from true. Okay? let's talk about why. Well, one of the huge problems with this is there's no clear standard. I mean, how good do you have to be? If good people go to heaven, we need to know what does it mean to be good. And whatever God you're talking about, the Christian God or another God, if they expect you to be good to earn your way to heaven, they owe you a standard of goodness. How good do you have to be? And the problem is we just don't have that information. Now, some people would stand up and say, well, the Bible... That's our standard of goodness. In America, most people who hold to this theory would say, get your Bible out. You'll know how good you have to be. It's in there. You know, the standard's in there. You know, I'm trying to live my life by the good book. You know They believe the Bible is a book of rules from a good God to those trying to get into a good heaven, and they want to keep the rules and be good people, and and they'll get there. And they'll proudly hold up their Bible, and they'll say, This is my target. This is what I'm trying to live for. And I would just tell you, if this is your target, you need to read this. Because this tells you you're not good enough. If you have respect for this book, if you're shooting for this, you'll never be that good. Oh, okay, preacher, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best I can. This says not good enough. Okay, preacher, but I'm trying really hard to do better. Not good enough. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. You're not good enough. No verse in here says you'll make it. No verse says if you try, you'll make it. In fact, the, verse, the verses that I read in this Bible say you're not even close. Let's look at some of them. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not good enough. Listen to what it says. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not even one. Not even close. Not one. Not good enough. No one understands. No one seeks God. Nobody. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Verse 20 of this same chapter of Romans chapter 3 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous. Now let's stop on that for a second. Not one of you in here, God, will look at you and say, My, my, I think they're good enough. Not one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Not one person. None of us. You might say, boy, I feel better. <laughs> I wasn't trying to make you feel bad. I'm telling you this because a lot of people think God's going to let me in because I try to keep the Bible and in the back of their mind. You know, if you think that, go ahead and think it. You can do what you want to, but don't make the excuse that the Bible says that's the case because the Bible doesn't say that it doesn't say anything close to that. And by the way, Jesus didn't say anything like that either. Jesus was confronted by a guy who thought he was pretty good and he said this to him. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's nobody good except God alone. So, so, So what is the standard? Well, it's not the Bible. Well, some people say, well, it's your conscience. You just know in your mind what's good and bad and what's right and wrong. Now, Granted, we all have a conscience. You go to the remotest jungle in the midst of uh, the darkest continent and you find people who know it's wrong to murder, they know it's wrong to commit adultery, they know it's wrong to steal. That's kind of universal. God's written his law on our heart. We know right and wrong, but let me tell you, man's heart is deceitful above all things and he can twist the truth And he can make his own standard. If you don't believe that's been done, think about this. Armies throughout the history of this world have lined up on opposite sides of the battle, each declaring that their side was righteous. Nazi Germany. They thought they were right. Their conscience told them, we're right. Americans... Held slaves and said, We're right to do this. You know, people can listen to their conscience and their conscience can deceive them. It has. So, how do we know who's right? Well, it's just obvious. Well, it's not to everybody. ISIS thinks they're right right now. How do we know? How do we know we're on the right side? If we're just trusting our conscience, if we're just, you know, and, and by the way, doesn't it change as you get older? You know, there were things I thought were right when I was like 16, 17 years old, and now that I'm a parent of a 16, 17 year old, I don't think they're right anymore. I mean, it changes, doesn't it? My conscience, I'm right, I'm good. It's amazing. We have to be honest. If we believe that good people go to heaven, we have no earthly idea how good that is. We have no earthly idea how good we have to be. Actually, uh, uh, <laughs> we've deluded ourselves because we usually think our it's just behind me, the line. Here's how good you have to be. Just as good as I am. Which is really scary. But That's what a lot of people do. Not only did we not have a standard, we don't even know what percentage of our actions have to be good to make it work. I mean, what do you have to be? 50% good? You know, as long as you're... Better than 50% of people, if you're in the top half, you go. Or maybe it's 70%. Maybe that's where we got our school numbers at. You know, you pass, if you get a 70, you know, below that. I mean, we've done things down now. I think it's even like a 64. If you get a 64, you know, you pass, you move forward, da-da-da. Is that, where do we we get these percentages? If you're being graded for how good you are, how, how good do you have to be? And do some things count more than others? I mean, they must, because some people say, well, I've never killed anybody. What are they really saying? I have never done anything really, really bad, and so there's really, really bad, and there's kind of, kind of bad. Now, granted, in my and your relationship, I would rather you, like, cuss at me than kill me. You know, I'd rather rather meet you driving when you're smoking than when you are drinking. You know, I mean, I I get that. I I understand. In our relationship, it kind of works that way, but is that how it works with God? You know, and then are some good deeds better than others? You know, like if you give up a kidney, is that better than like giving up a dollar to the dollar club? You know, I mean, what, how does God view that stuff? You know, I, I, some people must think this because I can never, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I'm not a thief, I've never cheated on my w- wife. Who decides what's important? I mean, really? In our society, you know, we want to check out on God and people want to dismiss morality and they want to take away the Bible standards. Well, well, who decides what's good and not good? I mean, really, right now everybody says, well, we just need to love each other. Why? I mean, who says that love is better than having money? I mean, really? Who says? We have to admit that we make up our own standard all the time and it usually is made up to accommodate us another question oh well by the way you know some people say well i the bible's given us a standard of what's important in the ten commandments really really okay let's talk about the ten commandments you know what number five is what's number five honor your father and mother number five is honor your father and mother. Murder comes after that, by the way. So if you don't honor your parents, God's already said that's just, by the way, <laughs> right under honoring God, parents are next. So if you're setting the standard, and then you might say, well, I've never killed anybody. I don't commit adultery. Well, here's what James said about that in the New Testament. James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. You know, if you fall just, so, and then I have another question. What age do you become accountable You know? I mean, when do you have to start owning up for your actions? Is it seven? Is it two or three? By the way, for all of you young parents, you know, y'all know there is an age frame between when it moves from cute to, oh my. (laughs) It's usually somewhere between two and three, and if you hadn't figured it out, we have. (laughs) You know? When are they accountable? You know? Is it when they're 13, 14? Oh my. Boy, things change there, don't they? Is it Whenever they're 24 and they're starting to come back around, and now that they're coming back to their senses and waking up a little bit, now they're accountable for what? When do you become accountable? I mean, to be honest, we don't know. If you believe that you've got to be good to get to heaven, if you're honest, you have no earthly idea how good you've got to be. That's just a fact. You've made up a system in your mind that this is what's important to God, and if I ask you, how do you know that that's most important or not, you would have to admit, I don't know, I just created this reality in my own mind. Now, we would never be satisfied with that in any other area of our life, ever. My daughter's taking college classes while she's in her last year of high school, and, and uh, she doesn't have this dual credit stuff going on because where she's going to school, so she's having to take it just in addition to... And she's taking some stuff where she's having to spend tons of time. But my daughter's kind of a legalist. First thing she does, she gets on the site where she's taking this web-based class. And she wants to know the syllabus. She wants to know how much she's got to do. She wants to know when it's due. She wants to know the rubric of how it's being graded. And she goes through all of this stuff. And she really wants to know. But imagine if Dad had shelled out $400 for her class. And that class... When you got on the syllabus, said you're going to have a test, it's pass or fail, but we're not going to tell you what you got to know. And we're not going to tell you when you got to take the test. And we're not going to tell you how we're going to grade the test. Good luck. There'd be one mad papa right now. Right? And in your work, let's say you went to work somewhere and, and, they said in three months, we're going to do a job evaluation to see if we're going to keep you or not, move you to permanent or kick you out. But we're not going to give you a job description. We're not going to tell you how we're going to evaluate what you're doing. And, you know, we're just not going to, that's just not important. Or imagine if you were going to run a race and you showed up to run this race and they didn't tell you who's competing against you and they didn't tell you where the boundaries were and they didn't tell you, you know, how. Imag- Nobody would be satisfied with that. We would be frustrated. You know, I mean, my goodness, a teacher that doesn't tell you what is on the test is not just. An employer who doesn't tell you what you're being evaluated on is not fair. A, a race that doesn't tell you how long it is, what the boundaries are, what, it's insane. We would never, ever think like that. It's crazy, but yet that's the situation everybody faces if they believe, if you're good, you'll go to heaven. You're hinging your eternity on something you made up. Let me repeat that line. If you think your goodness will get you to heaven, you're hinging your eternity on a standard you have made up. And what ends up happening? It's the habits and sins that I don't wrestle with. They're really bad. And the things that I struggle with, they're Okay. And as much of a problem that people have with Christianity being an unjust system, I want to tell you the theory that good people go to heaven is much more unjust. And not only this, do we not have a standard? We don't know how good we have to be. It makes Jesus Christ out to be a liar. Jesus taught bad people go to heaven, good people don't. Sinners go to heaven, not people who think they're good enough. The object of most of Jesus' criticism were the religious leaders. And their whole job description was be good. Wash your hands a certain way because you've got to be good. Put on the right type of clothes because you've got to be good. Keep certain type of rules because you've got to be good. Eat certain type of foods because you've got to be good. Do certain religious rituals because you've got to be good. Be good, be good, be good. And Jesus said, I want to tell you, they were worried about getting to heaven and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. By the way, if you have your Bibles, turn there right now. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds. That's a big word there goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes or the Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven i want to point this out to you in in, in Matthew chapter 5 i don't have these screens on the or these screens these verses on the screen but I want to point this out, you know, verse twenty. He says, you know, he he's telling them, you're blessed if you, the kingdom of heaven is for. And he talks about those who are poor in spirit and those who are uh, merciful, and you know, you know that the beatitudes, and you're supposed to be salt and light. Y'all know that part. But then he goes into this part and he says, if you want to go to heaven, you got to be better than the the good guys. You got to be better than the religious people. And he says, you've heard the laws, because he's trying to tell you how good you have to be. He said, you've heard the laws man shouldn't murder. That's one of those big ten, by the way, you know. You shouldn't murder. And he said, but I tell you, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've already murdered somebody. Then he says, you shouldn't commit adultery. Right there in chapter 5, right after this. He says, but I tell you, if you've lusted in your mind, you've committed adultery. And he says, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor, but I tell you, unless you love your enemy... You're not good enough. And then he says, the last verse, I don't have this on the screen, but this is really important, the last verse of chapter 5, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You don't know how good you got to be? There it is. got to be perfect. And the problem is, nobody here is close. Jesus didn't believe good people go to heaven. He believed forgiven people would go to heaven. You see, Jesus points this out in the Sermon on the Mount to remind us that we all fall short of the standard. None of us are righteous with God. All of us are guilty and deserving of death. And so what Jesus was teaching in his life is you need his cross. Love the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, we have this phrase, the Son of God, the Son of God, the Son of God, throughout the whole Gospel of Mark. And the whole Gospel of Mark, they're saying, who is this that even the waves obey him? Who is this that even the demons listen to his voice? Who is this who could feed the multitudes? And you have this, who is this, who is this, who is this? Who is this? Until at the very end of Mark, the centurion standing, looking at the cross. And anybody remember what that centurion said? truly. This is the Son of God. I want to tell you, we know what Jesus' mission is by looking at the cross. He came to the cross because we are mess-ups. We have blown it. We've all fallen short. None of us can make it. And he went to the cross as that Son of God who interceded on our behalf, his death for our sin, giving us life. Back to the story in Luke 18. I tell you, This man who stood far off said, oh God, I don't deserve to be here. This man, he went home justified. Not the guy who thought he had it all together. The guy who thought he had it all together was far from God. Whoever exalts himself will be crushed, will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Some people would say, well, it's not fair. I'm trying to live my life and be good. Remember last week, the prodigal son's brother? At the end of the story, I've been good. That's the Pharisees. I want to tell you it is fair because everybody can get into heaven the same way. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody gets in the same way. Everybody's welcome. Everybody can meet that requirement. John three sixteen. What a beautiful verse. says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes, not behaves. Catch that? Whoever believes shall not perish. Why perish there? Because the Bible says the soul that sins is worthy of death. And one drop of that poisonous sin in our life contaminates the whole being. So you need the cross. You need the covering that comes from what Jesus did for you. It's not about who tries hard. It's not about who keeps the commandments. It's about who puts all of their trust in Christ. Forgiveness is found by not trusting yourself and putting your trust in Christ. And So the question of the day is for those of you who secretly hold to this view you know the good enough view have you really ever put your trust in Christ alone? See, guys, I wake up every morning knowing I'm not worthy. Y'all see a guy up here who gets to share stories and walk through the Scripture, and I wake up every morning knowing I'm not even close to good enough to go to God's heaven. Not close. But I'm not going because I'm good. I'm going because He's good. I'm going because of what Christ has done, not what I try to do. That's why I can lay my head down at night and know it's okay. Because I don't trust me. I trust Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ and you trust yourself, you will split hell wide open because of your pride. I don't care how many times you've sat in the pew or how many dollars you've dropped in the plate. Pride will keep a lot of people who've been on Baptist rolls out of heaven. It's not our goodness that gets us there, guys. It's Christ's righteousness. All else is worthy of nothing. Bigger houses, newer car, Kent hit it on the nose, didn't he? All of that's of no value. And truthfully... All of our goodness is of no value either because there's none righteous, not even one. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words and you would use them for your glory. God, I confess that I need you to cover my sin. Lord, even, even since you've saved me, Lord, I still see, Lord, the, that residue of pride. and, Lord, I pray that you would break that. Lord, I'm not better than any person. Any person outside these doors or any person across the seas. Lord, I, I'm good for the sole fact that you live in me. And you have made me good because of Christ's blood that's covered my sin. God, I pray that if there's any person here, Lord, who has never received the forgiveness of Christ and never humbled themselves and recognized that they don't deserve it, God, I pray, Lord, that they would humble themselves today and accept the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.